from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Selling U.S. meat overseas. I think in other parts of the Western Hemisphere, there's really opportunities for that to grow even further. How research done at one university is helping generate buzz around the world. Fighting higher fertilizer prices. Could producers be in for a break on the horizon? What industry watchers are saying. As a nationwide rail strike is averted. From clean water to food and gas and every, every other good, rail shutdown would have devastated our economy. The ag industry breathes a sigh of relief right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Rowe. Clinton is on assignment. With the president's signature, the nation has avoided what could have been a devastating rail strike that was due to happen later this week. A bill passed by both the House and Senate last week and signed by President Biden into law requires rail worker unions to accept a tentative deal brokered between the two sides by the Biden administration in September. One sticking point that wasn't part of the legislation was paid sick leave for rail workers. The House passing the sick leave measure, but it failed in the Senate. President Biden saying the legislation at least averts a strike, but says he'll go back to the table to get sick leave covered, not just for rail workers, but for all workers. As we've been reporting, a strike could have had a major impact on the transport of food and farm products. Several ag and farm groups applauding the effort to stop the strike. We were very pleased to see, you know, Congress intervene. The president obviously had a very strong statement urging Congress to do so. So we're very pleased to come to a resolution. It's good for our industry. It's good for our economy. Steenuk says rail is critical for U.S. grain movement to domestic and export customers. 1.5 million railroad cars of soybeans and grain are transported annually. EPA's renewable fuel standard blending mandate proposal received mixed reaction. While the ethanol sector was pleased, the biodiesel and renewable diesel industry expressed disappointment. Both the American Soybean Association and the Clean Fuels Alliance America saying that EPA's minor increases for biomass-based diesel in 2023 through 25 are below existing production. Plus, the proposal doesn't account for the new capacity coming online in renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuels in the next few years. Plus, it'll discourage investments in new facilities. EPA uh, provides growth of about 60 million gallons each year in 2023, 2024, and 2025. But we were anticipating growth of at least 500 million gallons each year. Winter says the Department of Energy also projects 500 million gallons of growth in the coming year, and yet EPA chose to disregard the data and instead made it a food versus fuel decision. They will ask for higher volumes in the comment period and January hearing. While drought conditions have lessened across the country, dryness is still a big issue for the winter wheat crop in the ground right now. Currently, 74% of the nation's winter wheat production is in an area experiencing drought. You can see that shaded in red on this map. That's up quite a bit from planting season, when about 53% of the production area was in drought. But that higher drought number held steady through November, and that's why we're seeing the lowest winter wheat conditions since 2012. Also right now, 70% of U.S. cattle inventory is in drought. That's down from 76% in early November. And here's something helping to curb those drought conditions, a whole lot of snow. 
the Mammoth Ski Area in California Sierra Mountains receiving up to 16 inches of snow last week and another two feet over the weekend. One of the major lifts at the resort was set to open for the first time this season on Friday. Snow was also expected in the Rockies in Montana, Utah, and mountains in Colorado, along with heavy rainfall in places further west. Officials say winter is getting off to a great start with this amount of moisture. Meteorologist Matt Yersavik joins us now. And Matt, there are more chances for rain and snow in other parts of the country this week, right? Yeah, Michelle, and a very busy weather week across the country. Keeping an eye towards the end of the week for a potential winter storm heading somewhere in the east. But as we start off the week, we're going to be watching for more rain and mountain snow in the Pacific Northwest and another system moving through the southeast, which is going to bring more rain on the way. And you can see just by this map here, we've got above average precipitation down in the south and the east. And you can see that system there on Monday. That is going to be moving its way eastward as that warm front lifts north. Warm temperatures down to the south and west of it, but much chillier up out ahead of this system. And then another one going to be following in, bringing a reinforcing shot of some colder air as we head towards the middle part of the week. And then that system out in the Rockies will be moving towards the center of the country. So a lot of precipitation possible this week. It's going to get some help out west. We're probably going to see some improvements due to the rain and mountain snow from this past week. And we're also going to see some improvements through the middle and the southern part of the country as well. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. The science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. And Adam Bissell of St. Louis, Missouri putting a wrap on harvest. He shared this picture as he harvested the last 180 acres of corn. He said he saw some great yields thanks to some late rains. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. After two back-to-back -back turbulent years, global fertilizer markets may start to settle in 2023. According to a new Rabobank report, a recovery in consumption is possible in some regions next year, with fertilizer prices lowering and commodity prices at historically high levels. Looking at this affordability index, it shows the relative price of a basket of commodities in comparison to a basket of fertilizer. Current price trends and volatility are in line with the three-year cycle of peaks. If history repeats itself, especially trends observed following the 2008 global financial crisis, then prices should come down in the coming months. Phosphorus and potash prices have already declined due to lower demand. A UN official says a deal is close at hand on resuming Russia ammonia exports via Ukraine. UN aid chief Martin Griffiths telling Reuters the deal was almost more important than ensuring grain exports. He says the operation of the pipeline from Russia through Ukraine is well understood and that it can be started within a week or two. The shipments are a key part of the Black Sea Grain Initiative that was worked out with help from the UN over the summer and was just extended in November. That restarted Ukraine's shipments of grain. Meanwhile, Russia continues to face allegations of smuggling Ukrainian grain. The latest coming from the Wall Street Journal, which says it investigated a sophisticated system of feeder vessels and floating cranes used to smuggle grain, typically from the Crimea port of Sevastopol to larger cargo ships waiting at sea. It claims Russia's largest grain trader shipped thousands of tons of stolen Ukrainian grain to global buyers. In July, we told you about a group called the Initiative for the Study of Russian Piracy. It estimated at the time Russia had looted more than a half million metric tons 
of Ukrainian grain. U.S. officials continue to press Mexico regarding its plan to ban imports of genetically modified U.S. corn in 2024. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai meeting with Mexico's economy minister last week. She stressed the importance of avoiding any disruption in U.S. corn exports to Mexico, along with Mexico's energy policy. The Mexican economy ministry has invited Tai's team to hold consultations in the coming days in Mexico City. The U.S. has threatened to enforce legal rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada deal if an agreement can't be reached. Soybeans tried to recover on Friday, but it was a tough down day for corn and wheat futures. We'll see if we did any technical damage with Darren Fry coming up. And later, what's the secret to getting more world interest in U.S. meat products? What researchers are doing to answer that question in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Grains closed mixed on Friday, but we did a lot of technical damage, it looks like, in the wheat and corn market. Darren Fry Water Street Solutions here to talk about that. Took out major support in corn. Where's the next downside support we're going to find? Well, you know, corn could have a small bounce up in the 650 to 653 area, but then the next support level, just minor support, would be that 640 through 635 area. And that would provide probably another bounce. But I'm kind of looking down into the low sixes here, you know, over the next month or two, you know, four to six, eight weeks, I think we'll just take 10, 12 cents a week off the corn market until we get down to six bucks. Do you think the same is true for wheat? Because we did technical damage there too. Well, wheat has been, you know, in decline since uh, October and we've taken a couple bucks off of wheat here since making that high. And it looks like wheat's going to go lower too. Now you could get a bounce from the old swing low, you know, kind of a double bottom there and maybe get a 20 cent bounce or something like that up. But I'm not looking for a lot. I think that rallies are for selling and we'll see how those unfold. But these markets just feel real heavy and just like funds are unwinding a lot of stuff. And that's the pressure I think we're seeing. Yeah, like I said, lots of technical selling. The other place we saw it was soybean oil. The RFS announcement obviously triggered that. But we did yes. a lot of significant damage there. Will we see a lot more pressure and will that pull beans down with? I think it will. You know, that trade's been crowded for some time, long oil, short meal. And I think that's what's giving meal support right now. But beans have gone up on the back of oil because of all the renewable energies and what's going on with biofuels. And, and that was a little disappointing when the RBO came out. So I think that was just the trigger for the funds to unwind. And as they've been doing that, they did real chart damage to the bean oil. It was the first chart to say, hey, I think the top is in. We're headed lower. And my projection is to be 50 cents on bean oil over the next six months. And that's going to affect soybeans. I mean, once this meal spreading with oil is done, I'm looking lower in meal. And that'll really impact soybeans. So I think the whole trade from the oil seeds over to the grains is looking lower. Yeah, and you had a South American crop on that, and certainly that's a lot to watch. All right, thanks for joining us here in Fry Water Street Thank Solutions. You. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. For marketing strategies specific to your operation, contact Water Street Solutions at 866-249-2528 or online at www.waterstreet.org. Farmer to Farmer.
Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov conservation. Joining us with our National Live Weather Forecast, meteorologist Matt Yersavik. We have the jet stream behind us and certainly a pattern that indicates kind of a, a battle between the two seasons. Yeah, it's early December and as we get going deeper into winter, we'll see more cold air, but right now it's kind of like fall to the south and winter to the north. And you can see just by the jet stream on Monday, very cold air hanging around in the southern part of Canada, northern part of the United States. And as we look towards the Gulf Coast, a lot warmer down there, warmer colors as well. We're going to continue to see that through the first part of the week. Storm system going to be gathering some moisture back there in the west, maybe moving up towards the middle of the country. But notice warmth out ahead of this Atlanta down to New Orleans and even Miami and Jacksonville seeing some of that. And then another big dip in the jet stream coming into the west as we head towards the end of the week. This could start to influence a more wintry pattern there as we head towards the weekend, bringing some colder air, more active pattern as well through the weekend and into next week as we head through uh, the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be active as we start off on Monday. Showers and a few thunderstorms across the south. More rainfall in places that really need it, especially that Mississippi River. Few snow showers into the uh, northern part of the Great Lakes and then a few rain and snow showers, higher elevation snow back in the west, and even some more snow for parts of the Sierras, something we'll continue to keep an eye on. Things dry out, though, high pressure taking over in the west, other than another warm front moving into uh, places uh, like the Cascades. Going to see some more rain and snow out of that. A couple more snow showers hanging around in the northern Great Lakes, and then more showers along a cold front moving eastward in the deep south and the mid-south as we head towards the middle of the week. Now, precipitation, we looked at this earlier, above normal in the south and in the east as well as in the Pacific Northwest. Temperatures, though, again, a battle of the seasons. Above normal in the south, right along the Gulf Coast and Florida, going to be much above average, much below average in the west and in the northern part of the United States. Then as we head towards next week, below normal precipitation in the east, we'll see a little bit more active pattern in the west, and that comes with chillier temperatures in the north and still staying above average in the south. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at the weather where you live. Huntsville, Alabama showers likely a high near 60 degrees heading to Marquette, Michigan snow showers a high near 25 and Evanston, Wyoming a chance for snow showers a high of 28. While temperatures may have dipped, the used equipment market is continuing to run hot. And as Machine Repeat tells us right now, prices are even higher. Well, folks, late November into early December, wow, an already on fire used farm equipment market shot higher as year-end tax buyers piled in, bidding up really good condition used equipment. Now, let me walk you through just a few examples. Let's start back on November 26th on an auction in Lenox, South Dakota, I'm sure. Uh, many of you may have heard about this, saw our YouTube video, but this 1992 John Deere 4255 two-wheel drive tractor with 3,555 hours on it, this thing sold for $142,500. Now, it was a little unusual. It was the very last one made by Deere, but still, 
142.5, the previous record was 77,000. And oh, by the way, that same auction had another 42.55 that's over 90,000 bucks. So the two all-time highest auction prices on the same auction. Now that was November 26th. On November 29th, this 1999 KSH MX240, 3,180 hours on it, so for $94,000 on a sale in Curlew, Iowa, a record high auction price there. The next day, November 30th, this 06 John Deere 8330, 3,606 hours on it, sold on a farm auction in Jessup, Iowa, went for $189,000, and folks, that is the highest auction price ever on a Deere 8330 with over 2,400 hours, and again, this one had over 3,600 hours. The next day, December 1st, let's go up to Hector, Minnesota for an online farm auction where this 2021 Case H 2140 24022-inch 22 high-speed planner sold for $235,000. That's $44,000 over the previous high auction price I'd ever seen on a Case H planner. Coming up, carving out a new path with needs. How these researchers are trying to help grow the U.S. meat market overseas in the country. And now is the time to sign up for the Case IH Holiday Giveaway. One lucky winner will be drawn each day from Monday, December 19th through Friday, December 23rd. We'll announce those winners on Ag Day. The winners will receive a Case IH prize pack. Then the grand prize winner will be announced on U.S. Farm Report on Christmas Eve and they'll win a Farmall Seed Pedal Tractor. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com. Global appetites changed with the pandemic, but as international trips pick back up again for the holidays, the University of Nebraska in Lincoln is teaming up with the U.S. Meat Export Federation to help turn taste toward U.S. meat products. As Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan reports, the effort isn't just aimed at consumers right now, but down the road. University of Nebraska Lincoln is home to a strong tradition of meat science. We have over a hundred years of tradition of meat science. And you have that tradition to thank for some of your favorite cuts of meat and meat products. Technology behind the McRib was developed at University of Nebraska, identifying the flat iron steak, you know, are a couple things that some of my uh, predecessors and, and Ameritai faculty from our department worked on. With a continued focus on extension, the university teams up with the U.S. Meat Export Federation to carve out new products to meet changing appetites around the world. This time we had processors from Mexico, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean, and bring them in to talk about how they can utilize U.S. beef and pork products and how to make the most out of the quality that we have, but also help fit them to the, the region that they're in. By not only utilizing U.S. products, but proving how you can add value wherever you live, the Global Processing Workshop opened doors for new demand. They developed a, a, a meat item for their domestic market that's a ready to eat or ready to cook convenience item that then they could use using the U.S. products and be able to gear it towards their market. Undergrad and graduate students helped lead and support the workshop with a focus on premium convenience products this year. The way I look at it is we really want to figure out how to make the products be as tasteful as it can be, to be as safe as it can be, add as much value as we can and to make it last as long as we can. That potential comes from a product that boasts both protein and flavor. And so we can have steaks that have different amounts of marbling. We can have 
processed meats that have different characteristics because there are different markets. From dishing out meat products that taste good to also meeting changing tastes and demands around the world, the university is carrying on a tradition. Nebraska is a, a big player in the meat industry and we're here to help serve and, and make the industry the best it can be. Thanks, Stein. That's all the time we have for this morning. Thanks for watching from all of us here at the Ag Day team. Have yourself a great day.